Good morning and welcome to Faithbrook. My name is Josh Friesen and I'm one of the volunteer hosts here at Faithbrook. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we are so thankful and excited you've joined us for worship today. If you're newer here, we would love the chance to get to know you. So after worship today, right here in the worship center, we're gonna have Discovery. It's a short little gathering and you'll have a chance to learn a little bit more about our church, why we do the things we do, and you'll get a chance to meet Pastor Jim and some other staff as well. We're so excited to see you after the service and to get to know you as well. Our mission at Faithbrook is to lead people into a new and thriving life in Christ. And last weekend, many folks from the community did just that as they took their first steps forward at our fall kickoff event. It was a great Sunday, and it wouldn't have been possible without the great support of everybody in our Faithbrook community. So thank you for giving of your time and your resources. If you'd like to give to Faithbrook, the best way to do so would be through the Church Center app. You can set up giving, reoccurring, one time, and you can get connected with life groups and see upcoming events as well. One might even say the Church Center app is where it's at. Well, in just a second, we're going to welcome our lead pastor, Jim Comfort, as we continue our series, Game Plan. Have you ever had the opportunity to coach youth sports in some capacity? Maybe uh, the organization was desperate to help get some parents to coach uh, t-ball or hockey or maybe soccer. Uh, it's always a joy most of the time. Uh, since I've had two boys, I've had plenty of opportunities to, to help um, coach some athletics. Lately, it's been my, <clears throat> my son, Logan. Here's a picture of our team a couple of years ago. It was a great time most of the time, except when the coach, me, would have a game plan or a strategy, and I'd try to corral these adolescent boys to listen to the great game plan. It's practice time, and it's like, okay, let's stop what we're doing, and let's listen to these winning strategies, and it could become pretty frustrating. You know, boys are notorious for clowning around with each other. They'd be all squirrely, playing handsy, hitting each other's side of the head, right? I'm trying to give these brilliant winning strategies, and they're talking or bouncing the ball. I'm like, quit it. I want you to listen up. It can be frustrating, but... You know what's the most complicated thing, the most frustrating was? When there was a student or a, a player in this case that wasn't very teachable. Uh, this, this player would be walking around like they knew it all. Um, they had skills. They wouldn't maybe show up to practice on time. And they wouldn't really pay attention. And because they wasn't very coachable, it would just mess with the other teams. In fact, uh, a lot of these uh, basketball players in Omega's uh, organization, they had to try out for certain teams and they would be drafted by coaches. And the coaches would get together and we'd kind of be ranking them and picking them. And for some of the players, they would have a reputation. They'd be known, but yeah, they can really score and they might be able to rebound, but they're not very coachable. Watch out. Their attitude, their cockiness can hurt your team. Well, last week we introduced this fall series here at Faithbrook called Game Plan, discovering God has a game plan for you and his game plan is good for you. It really comes out of the heart of God. We found this in Jeremiah 29, where prophet Jeremiah is exhorting and, and confronting the people of Israel in the Old Testament 
But even though in their punishment and consequences, God's heart was still for them. And God was saying, I have a game plan for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to love you, and to press you forward. A future for your hope. But you have to choose to swap your game plan for my game plan, God's game plan. And some of you have made that choice before. Yes, I realize I need to follow God's game plan. Some of you have recently have made that decision. I am following God's game plan. But what does that look like? What are the specific strategies on winning the game of life every day or as a whole? So welcome to the second part of this series, Game Plan. So glad that you are viewing us online. Maybe you're just uh, visiting us today. Good to have you as our guest. I hope you're feeling comfortable because God does has a game plan for you in your future. Now, today in the second part, we're going to go back to the Old Testament again. The Old Testament is, is kind of a big, long um, book. Uh, uh, it's really the story of the journey of the people of God, the Israelites, God's chosen people, and their, their prophets, their failures, their promises. And at the last part of the Old Testament, there's a lot of prophets that God is sending them because the people of Israel have not been very obedient. Uh, they've really kind of got stubborn. Uh, they thought they could do their own game plan. They wasn't very teachable. And next thing you know, they're finding that they're overcome by their eastern uh, enemies. Uh, their town, Jerusalem, and the walls have been broken down. Their religious temples have been destroyed. They're scattered. They're not in a good place. And the whole time, he's sending these, these prophets to speak into them. Last week was Jeremiah. This week, we're going to be talking about uh, Micah. Micah was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. He's trying to coach them. He's trying to correct them. He's always to also telling about the heart of God. Now, because they are in exile ship, things are not going well. They're a little bit more open to listening to the prophets. Maybe they need to listen to that, the great coach of God and what he has for them. And so lately, they've been really trying to uh, appease God. Uh, they've been trying to follow the rules and give great sacrifices and look really good to God. And so God speaks through Micah, especially in chapter 6. And Micah says this to the people. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before and the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my trespasses? the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul. In other words, man, what, what do I need to do to impress you, God, to get on the right track? And Micah says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What is good? And so he asks this question, and what does the Lord require of you? What is the game plan? What is really God looking for? Is he looking for all these sacrifices and all this prestige? What is he looking for? And then he says this, Here's God's game plan for your everyday life, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. It's just really three or four components. It's not super specific. It, it's somewhat subjective, right? It's kind of vague, right? What, what does that look like? But what God is looking for, oh, mortal, oh, human, is these three, four things. Have you ever... Ask yourself, man, what is my game plan for everyday life? What do I want people to know me for? 
Uh, how am I, what is my attitude and perspective as I take on life and, and walk through life? Uh, what does that look like? What's the mission of my life? I would submit that in our world today, um, people's mission maybe or, or what their, their game plan is, is to take care of themselves to make all the money they can, to, to gain all the pleasures they can, and, and to protect everything uh, about them. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a me-first kind of philosophy, strategy in their life. But here we see that God's offering a, a strategy that's not really focused on the self. It's focused on him. If you would almost kind of say it's, that it's uncommon. It reminds me of a book several years ago, Coach Tony Dungy wrote a book called Uncommon. Uh, Tony Dungy helped lead the Indianapolis Colts to a world championship uh, many years ago. He also seen on Sunday night NFL uh, uh, game cast. Uh, He's highly regarded out there. And so he writes this book called The Uncommon. It's really based on these principles about acting justly, walking humbly, and, and being a person of mercy. And he says that what's common out there is to take care of yourself. What's common out there is to chase image, to chase status, to keep up with everyone. It's very common to, to gain as much money as you can. And so you can uh, experience as much uh, gratification and, and pleasures as you can. It's, it's very common to be selfish. It's very common to make your own morality and, and what feels right to you. It's very common to, to have revenge or to push back if people have hurt you. You, what's common out there is you are the center of your world. And yet God in this book is calling us to be uncommon. And what Micah was describing to these people, God's winning strategies was, was pretty uncommon to focus on being just, the love and mercy and walking humbly. We notice that God's game plan for everyday life is a little uncommon, Right? But God's asking us to join him in a more divine purpose than than what just our individual purpose. To fit into a much larger picture uh, that divinely intertwines with his purpose for the kingdom and society as a whole. And all of a sudden, it would run into eternal differences and eternal rewards. And so let's take a moment this Sunday morning to break down uh, this strategy that Micah gives to these people. First thing he says is to act justly. Now, just, justly is really comes from the word from justice. Justice and justly are close together, but they are uniquely different. Justice has to do with acting proactively against something that's been wronged. It needs to be addressed. But acting just or justly is different. It's the quality of morally being right. In other words, to live uh, above a bar, a standard that is just, that is right. In other words, what is right and wrong. Now, some theologians say that you could uh, interchange the, the concept of justly with righteousness. They're interchangeable. God is asking us to live right or righteous in, in his view, in his way. So to act justly is to have a moral perspective on how we should just walk in everyday life and the decisions that we have. See, in Micah's day, there was some moral corruption happening. There was cheating. There was power grabs inside the church, outside the church. 
There was a lot of pride. There's a lot of manipulation. There were scandals and selfishness going on. And so God's asking this prophet to speak into these people and say, this is what I'm requiring of you. If you want to know the game plan, you know the winning strategy. It's going to be, let's just start with acting right, acting justly. Micah made it pretty simple. God is looking for you to kind of act justly in your everyday game plan, to be part of his greater, higher purpose. So if it's true that the game plan is to act justly and righteously and be on a plane of morally right, then what is that bar? What is that expectation? Who gets to make the rules on what is right and what is just? Well, should we, should we go and say, well, uh, I think uh, uh, my neighbor's definition of what is just, I should follow. Maybe I need to follow the politicians. Maybe I need to follow the culture. Is it my opinion? Is it your opinion? Is it your professor's opinion? Who gets to make what is just, what is morally right? Could I suggest that God has helped us with this? That God says really it's not up to individuals or groups of people or whatever the cultural is trending to, but God has given us a book, his holy word, the Bible that helps us determine what is just, what is right, what is wrong. See, God gave his word to 40 different authors over 1,500 years, three different languages and three different continents. And when you open it up and you put them together, you realize they're on the same page. They're speaking on behalf of God. And when it comes to what is just, what is wrong, what is right, it's right in his living word that we can uh, read, we can learn from. So it doesn't have to depend on the preacher's opinion or, or your, your parents' opinions or your, your culture's opinions, but God's transcendent, overarching word gives us the bar of what is just. And God is asking us to act justly in our everyday life. Uh, to be people of responsibility, to be people of integrity, that people can count on us, that that these people that act justly are fair, they're dependable, they're diligent. Some people might say, well, that's awfully boring, right? If you're just asking me to go by the good book, right, and, and just play it straight, hey, what about the feelings that I have? You know, there's, there's the wild side. Some people, do you got to have some fun out there, right? And, and explore life. What are you talking about? Let's, let's do that. This is awfully irrelevant. This is awfully boring. Inside this book, in the book of Proverbs, there's a little proverb that says this. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Man, that is so common, Right? Man, this feels so good. How can it be so wrong? Let's just follow that feeling. Let's just do that. But I've lived long enough and I've interviewed enough people that there is some wreckage and some damage because they followed that philosophy. They didn't want to act justly or live by the justice bar that God had. It's like, I just want to do my thing. And before we know it, there is regret. There is guilt. There is damage that has to be dealt with. Could you imagine if, if uh, your, your mechanic out there, your policeman said, you know, I don't want to transcend the truth. I don't want to act justly. I just want to do whatever I feel this morning. I'm going to play by my own rules. I'm going to do what feels right in my case for this day. Can you imagine if, if, if your teachers or the, your IRS agent said, no, I, I'm not going to act justly. 
I'm just going to do what, 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 what feels good or uh, lines my pockets. Before you know it, man, society starts breaking down because people are not choosing to go by God's winning strategies of acting justly. How important is acting justly? There's uh, some parents in our church that uh, knew the importance of acting righteous and, and having some morality and living respectfully, and they raised their kids with this mantra um, in their house about respect and obedience. In fact, they were so um, determined about teaching respect and obedience that they had some placards placed on the inside of their bedrooms. When they walked out of their bedroom, these two words were above their, their door, respect and obedience. And they discovered that their kids would stay out of a lot of trouble and have a lot better life if they learned those two concepts, respect and obedience. In fact, anytime they had in trouble, it really boiled down to the lack of one of those. They either didn't have respect for their, their parents, they didn't respect their teachers, they didn't respect their siblings, and it would cause problem and pain in their life. And they chose not to obey they didn't clean the room that they were asked to. They didn't do their assignments. Next thing you know, there's problems, failures, and this would complicate their life. So these kids, we love you, that we want you to act just. And part of that is living responsibly. The part of that is obedience because life is going to go better, especially with God in the end, if we're willing to respect him and obey him. Could it be that God is looking for some people to live uncommon? Could it be that God is asking for some people that will go to work tomorrow and to act justly in their community, at their schools, at their workplace? Do you think our society needs more people that would lean into just and live that way? That means that we have to engage what is just every day. Sometimes there's complications that we have to make decisions. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the right thing here? What is the righteous thing here? What is the just thing right here? You, you might have situations in your work. Maybe there's human resource issues and you got to ask yourself, okay, how are we going to make a decision? What is the, the just thing in this situation? What is the, the right cause right here? You might be in community situations or family situations and there's all kinds of personalities and opinions and you have to say, I, my strategy is to find out what is just. I want to live by his righteousness and what is right. I feel sorry for parents who have many siblings. They're constantly in this predicament that they got to figure out what is just here because the siblings are at each other, right? I want the front seat. No, you had the front seat yesterday. I want the, my, somebody's got a bigger portion and let's make sure it's fair, right? You're constantly trying to decipher that. You're, you're figuring out if the, the little brother is trying to manipulate you by coming in and crying, my Johnny big brother hurt me, right? The big brother's coming in and say, mom, we were just playing, but little brother's not moving and it's not my fault, right? Uh, yeah, so all of a sudden, what is just comes into play. And this strategy and this priority and this value is so important for our life and the life of our society as a whole. So Micah says on behalf of God, hey, winning strategy, act justly, do what's right. Be responsible. Second, he says, love mercy. Now, justice and mercy go hand in hand. You can't practice mercy if something needs, is not justified or something doesn't need to be justified. See, a justice is addressing something that's been wrong. 
Okay, we got a problem here and something needs to be justified. And all of a sudden, mercy runs in and says, no, I'm willing to let it go. I'll forgive it. I'll dismiss it. Someone said, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Does that remind you of anything? Mercy is not getting, you know you deserve it. You, you know you, you're guilty. But you know what? I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forget it. I give you mercy. That reminds us of God, does it not? And the good news of the gospel that if you look at the overarching word of God, it has this one thing that God set up our life. God set up, created this beautiful world. He gave us the ability to make decisions. He gave us the ability to love. He gave us the ability to choose what's right and wrong. And through human society, people have struggled to obey him and do their thing. In fact, if you go back in the Bible, you'll see he gave 10 commandments. The first four was like, this is what I'm expecting to honor me, worship me, keep me first, okay? All right, and the other six is how you treat your fellow man. Do that well. Don't abuse them, etc. But through the years, mankind said, you know, I don't know if we need that. I don't care who you are. And you know, if it feels right, I'm going to take advantage of somebody and I'm going to cross lines. And all of a sudden there is crime and there is fallout and there is damage. In the Old Testament, God says, man, I'm so disappointed in you, especially you, my children, the Israelites. And he would consequent them. We see a lot of that, that God's wrath would come and say, I've warned you. I've given you kings. I've given you judges. I've given you prophets. And you still, he called them stiff-necked. That means stubbornness. They said, no, I don't care. And all of a sudden, fine. Here comes the Babylonians. Here comes the Assyrians. And there was pain and destruction. And this is where Mike is speaking into. But God knew that that wouldn't motivate man. God wouldn't be motivated by fear and judgment and we better play by the rules or God's going to hurt us right. No, our greatest need is love. Our greatest need is mercy. So God would send himself through his son, Jesus Christ. He incarnated himself through Christ who would be born of a virgin woman that eventually would go and be falsely accused, betrayed by one of his closest confidants, be hung on a Roman cross, a horrific death on that cross, all because of his mercy. John wrote it beautifully in John 3, 16. It said that God so loved the world that he gave himself, his beloved son, that if anyone would believe in him, that doesn't mean just intellectually believe in him. We know the devil intellectually believes in God. But when it says to believe in him, that would accept him, that would repent and confess, receive him, they shall not perish. Because God says, man, the consequences of sin is perishing, eternal damnation. There is a penalty, but because of my mercy, because of my grace, I would go to the cross and I'd carry your sin, your penalty, so that your penalty would be justified on that Christ, that my blood would cover and atone for your sins. And this is what we call God's grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's grace. God didn't do the sin. God didn't disobey his father. He was perfect, and yet he's the one that paid on the cross so that we would not have to. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And so God says, man, pass it on. If you receive mercy, pass it on. I like what Max Locato said. We are not very merciful people if we haven't valued the mercy God gave us. 
the more we know about God's mercy, the more we're willing to give mercy to other people. The more we're willing to dispense grace because we have been given grace. It's much easier to turn the cheek when we realize that God turned his cheek and took our beating and our, our death on the cross. Now, I know we live in a very harsh society. Society has taught us that you better protect yourself. You better not take advantage. If someone punches you, you need to punch back. There are people out there. And so everyone has kind of said, man, you're weak. If you show any kind of mercy, you need to all be about yourself and you need to be strong and let nobody take advantage of you. Yet here, God says, be people of mercy, love mercy, let it go. I was really intrigued um, a couple of weeks ago. There was a family in our church who was telling me that, that they wanted to go to a local parade. And so you kind of know that if you want to get close to the parade and bring your kids, you got to do this little uh, secret thing that you get there early and you map out your spot. You bring your blanket in your lawn chairs, right? And they had it on the curb. It was all fixed up. They were all excited. You know, four hours later, they take their kid and they go to their spot and their stuff is not there anymore. Somebody took their blanket and lawn chairs and moved it back and they put their stuff in the place they were. And they're thinking to themselves, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And this family's just sitting there. And they said, excuse me, this was our spot. Did you not see our blanket and stuff? They said, oh yeah, we put it back there. And they're like, How, what? Uh, yeah, we, we like this spot, and so we just took this spot. Sorry. And they're thinking to themselves, that is so rude. Is that not so offensive, right? And this guy, the dad, he's just like, oh man, he's getting mad, right? And his, his wife, who's much more spiritual, right? She's trying to pull him back and try to exercise mercy, right? The guy says, yes, we're, we're, we exercise mercy, but I couldn't help but say a couple of snarky things to this family. They claim that they grew up in this town and so they get first dibs. And that's why they get to sit there. Are you kidding me, right? This happens all the time, right? And yet God says to practice mercy. Let this be your compass. Let this be your deciding factor. And before you know it, if we cultivate mercy, then it also carries over into compassion that we start seeing people maybe differently. Before we know it, we're more generous. Here at Faithbrook, we try our best to be generous, to practice mercy, to, to see people marginalized and people maybe been hurt and affected. I know there's local companies, secular companies that do the same thing. It's hard to have mercy. It's hard to give people breaks. But when we extend mercy, we receive freedom. When we extend freedom or mercy, we receive freedom. Jesus talked about this spiritually. He realized that we cannot uh, receive his grace and his mercy unless we're willing to give mercy to others. He says, if you're not willing to forgive your brothers and sisters, I will not forgive you. Because God was willing to forgive us. Can we extend that? We also receive freedom emotionally, that we can live a little bit uh, better and more free. I, I appreciate a Christian comedian that was on the radio uh, several years ago, and his mantra for life was to live light, to live light. So many things weigh us down. People can offend us. People can have said stuff, and man, it just, we just internalize that. We just hang on to that, and he is saying, hey, man, learn to let it go. Learn to live light. So many better things God wants to have for you, 
and to spend a lot of energy and, and, and thinking and remorsing about those hurts and, and things that have happened in our past rather than say, God, I surrender. I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to live light. I'm going to live in freedom. You went to the cross. I don't have to just be always be thinking about that. You wanted me to trust you with that hurt, that we can live free spiritually and live free emotionally even when people might offend us. Can you imagine what our marriages would be like if we were willing to extend mercy? I know you deserve for me to just peg you on that, man, but I'm going to let it go. I'm going to give you some mercy. What about our neighbors? What about our coworkers? If we try when God's helped it to extend mercy, to live out this winning strategy, to treat people the way we would want to be treated, and sometimes we all need a little bit of mercy, Sometimes we do do some rude things or uh, uh, offensive things, but God gave us mercy. Could we give mercy to other people? And thirdly, he talks about this winning strategy is to walk humbly with your God, to walk humbly with your God. Now, walking means to journey, that it's going to be an everyday process. Humble, humbleness is really a, a quality of a person or a state of a person that is more of a, has a modest disposition. Uh, the, they're, they don't, they're lacking pride or arrogance. Are you attracted to people that are arrogant? Do you really want to follow people that are prideful? Is that what we're looking for personally? But to walk humbly. It's really a posture on how we uh, walk through life. I'm reminded of how Jesus himself modeled being humble. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote beautifully to the church of Philippi in the second chapter of Philippians when he says, Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Hey, look at me. I'm God. I'm going to make sure that, that I take advantage of that. No. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man. He was willing to take on our skin, how we go through life. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the cross, even death on a cross. This posture of being willing to dispense mercy, dispense grace, and live humbly. And for you and me, we have to learn to walk in this manner. This humility is a sense that, you know what, I don't always have to have the attention. Being humble is mean, you know what, I don't need to be first. I'll, I'll go back here. Why don't you get ahead of me? I, I'm okay with that. Being humble is that you don't always have to be a know-it-all. Being humble is that you don't always have to have your way. Could you imagine how that help us in our relationships? We always had to have our way, say, no, it's okay. All right, you can have your way. Doesn't mean that we're weak. It really means that we're strong. That God can do such a, a work in our heart that we've been healed, that we're secure in him, that if people get ahead of us or get more attention or, or they do their thing, it's okay. Because who we're trying to please is not the world and, and ourselves is please God. That God is proud of us. God is happy with us when we're humble and walking with him, and if people want to climb over us, look at me, how great I am. I got to have my way. I got to have all the attention. The humble person is like, man, I'm strong enough to say, hey, I, have at it, right? 
but I'm okay in Christ Jesus and who he sees me. See, a lot of times a humble person knows that there's flaws, that we still have some gains. And a humble person is willing to be teachable, willing to be coachable, and they don't know it all. In fact, true humility is staying teachable regardless of how much you know, regardless of how much you know. A humble person. I appreciated a, a um, young uh, businessman that was asking for some prayer. And it says, man, there's some stuff going on at, at work that's really agitating me. Um, my, my company needs some solutions. There's a problem there. And the, the people above me are asking for opinions. And, but nobody came for my opinion. And truthfully, Pastor Jim, I think I got some great opinions. I think I could help solve and help this company. But nobody's asking me. They're asking other people. In fact, they're asking people that were hired after me. They don't even have my experience. And it's ticking me off. It's, 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 it's really uh, hurtful for me. But he prayed. He's, he's thinking. He's processing. He says, you know what I, I figured out? It's really about my pride. I'm hurt because of my pride. I want to be asked. I want them to say, look how great you are. You have the solutions. And I know that's not of God. Would you help me to not be so prideful to walk humbly? And here's what we need to know. That we're not only about humbleness personally, but humbleness with our God, to walk with our God. Because we cannot do this unless we're staying connected with him. And one of the best ways to stay connected is to read his word privately and personally, that when we're reading that word, we're reminded of who we are and who he is and how he values us. He's reminding us to act justly. He's reminding us to give mercy because he gave mercy. He teaches us and he counsels us and he comforts us through his word. And there we can live more dependent on him, filter offenses and, and, and dilemmas in our life, like the situation in, on that parade situation, where when we are in the word and our heart is soft with God, that we don't have to react. We don't have to maybe cut someone out or, or make sure that they, they better learn their lesson because we're sinking our heart with God's values and his values are to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly, and to walk with him because God's game plan doesn't work without God. Because God sets the bar hard, high. And sometimes God, what God is asking us to do in everyday life to follow his game plan counters our human nature. Unless God intervenes into our soul and our head and mind, it's hard to live it out. But God is with us and he will help us. Reminds me of a story in Matthew 19 that Matthew shared about this rich young ruler that, that wanted God's um, endorsements and blessings. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, uh, Master, uh, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? I, I want to know what's right. And uh, Jesus said, well, you need to follow the commandments and, and love righteously and stuff. And, he, and the guy's like, yeah, I've done that. I'm following the commandments. Check this, check that. But God knows his real struggle, his pride, his self-sufficiency. And so Jesus just dives right into it and says, well, okay, next thing you need to do is you need to give up that stronghold of your wealth. I want you to let it go. I want you to give your, your money to all the poor people. Give it away. And Matthew describes it that the young man put his head down and walked away. He couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Now, nearby is his disciples. They're watching all this. And Jesus looks at him and says, man, it's hard for a rich person, 
a prideful person to go to heaven. And the disciples said, man, how, how can anybody measure up? Your bar is so high. You're expecting so much. That's like impossible. And Jesus looks at him and says this, with man, you're right. It's impossible. What we're, God is asking us to do, people say, you're crazy. I'm not going to be humble. I'm not going to give mercy. I, I'm not going to act justly. But then he says, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Because somewhere we got to let God work in our hearts. Because human nature and pride and past and hurts all well up to say, man, we're going to do our own game plan. We're going to practice our own winning strategies. But God says, man, I know it's hard, but nothing's impossible with you. Let me soften your heart. Let me teach you and give you the strength to walk righteously and justly. And when people offend you and you've been pushed to the back and it doesn't feel fair, I'm going to be there to help you embrace mercy. Because you're going to be so secure and be so confident in who we are, that you're my child. I'm your advocate that you can stand down and you can walk humbly like Tony Dungy. That people look at you and say, man, you're uncommon. Why are you so quiet? Why, why aren't you always brash and say, look at me, I need all the way, my way and my power. Because God's done a work in my heart. Because God's game plan doesn't work without God. God can do the impossible. Has God been working in your heart? Sometimes we're looking for great miracles that God, oh! And a lot of times the miracle is just how we view life and ourselves. That we're a little bit more mature. We don't have to react to everything. We don't always have to have the, the biggest and the baddest and we're the greatest. And we don't always have to keep up with people because you know we're okay. We're okay. We can live humbly. We can live secure in Christ Jesus. And my purpose is not to always gain more status, more fame, more power. My purpose is to live out God's game plan in a bigger picture than me because his kingdom is going to live much longer and bigger than I'm going to live. So how are you practicing being proactive and walking with your God? Are you walking with God? Are you coachable? Or are you like that player that says, yeah, you know, I'm good enough. I know all the skills. I don't need to listen to you, coach. Is Jesus Christ your head coach? Can he speak into your life? Are you humble enough and open enough and walking along with him enough that he can even speak into your life through his word or through a friend or through uh, some other uh, teachings in your life? So how we kind of want to wrap it up today is take a little bit of inventory. Uh, let's take these four aspects that are in Micah 6 there and ask ourselves, which one of these do, does God want to do the impossible in our life? Where are we more vulnerable to or more stubborn that we need God to work, to act justly, that we stay in line with God's righteousness and what he expects us, us to do, not just follow whatever temptation now, next, next week, we're going to be talking about a game plan, a defensive game plan against insecurities and temptations. Maybe, maybe you need to ask God to help give you more mercy because you're, you're the type of person that, man, if I've been offended, you're going to make sure you're going to hear it. And it's really hard to let go of things. Maybe the walk humbly. You're, you're, you're the person that's got a lot of pride and you, you know a lot of things and you need to have your way and you need to be front in line. And to walk humbly is a, ch a challenge for you. And walking with your God. You know, Jim, if I was honest, I haven't really thought about God. I haven't prayed to God in days, weeks. 
I just go day to day and I'm not walking with God. I need more time with God. Which one of these four? I believe God will minister to us. And I believe God does say, you know, with, without God, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible, even to live his winning strategies of these four aspects. I invite you to stand with me as we kind of close it out. You're welcome to hang out uh, after church. If you're new to this church, visiting today, we're going to have the discovery class, maybe three or four minutes after service. We'll come over here and it'll just be a short 10, 15 minute um, check under the hood who Faithbrook is. All right. Well, Father God, we know that your, your plans, your strategies don't work without you. And so we kind of close this up by really humbling ourselves before you to know that you need to do a work in our life. For some of us, maybe we need to ask for forgiveness of our pride. We, we have just been so consumed with making sure that we have status and we're important. And uh, there's a nature in us that needs to be broken. And we ask that you forgive us, God, to keep us humble for you. God, we're, we're praying uh, for us to, 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 be, or to confess that sometimes we hold on to things too long, that we want revenge. We want someone to pay, to be reminded, and we, we confess that. We repent. Would you soften our hearts? Would you give us tremendous amount of courage to release it, to surrender it, to trust you, that we might gain freedom and, and a healing in our hearts to live holy and wholesome before you. Help us to be people of mercy. Help us be people of righteousness to act just in all situations. We need you, and we ask these things in your great name, Jesus Christ, our Savior, and everyone said, amen. Well, thanks for viewing us today. Thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great day. You're dismissed.